Good morning, everyone. Can you read that all right? Okay, that's good. I don't know about you, but, um, oh, let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We want to love you more. We want to understand you and your kingdom and your principles and all that kind of stuff. Lord, I I just ask that uh, uh, you would... Make yourself present in the ways that you desire. And thank you that you want to do that for us. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know about you, but I think the concept of the kingdom, which is the whole issue of this year, is hard. I think the concept of kingdom is hard. Uh, And and in fact, the concept of kingdom has been something that has been uh, a a pet concept for me for decades. Uh, the whole, because I see, I see everything interconnected. That's just part of, that's one of my strengths, weaknesses. I see a lot of, a lot of how things interconnect. And I see everything connects with kingdom. And I find kingdom really a hard concept. Uh, and, and so it is a pleasure for me to, to attempt to, to share a couple of things with you in these next couple of weeks. So, uh, so uh, it's great. So thanks for letting me be here. This is a very scary thing. I'm a teacher professionally. I teach at Stillwater High School. I teach, uh, teach music orchestra program. Um, but every time that I, that I study the scriptures with the intent to teach it, uh, I am so well aware that when I put myself in a position of being a teacher... I consider, I place myself in a, in a different position, in a position that, uh, that means that I get, I get smacked harder when I, when I do it wrong. Uh, that, that the Lord is, is harder on teachers because it's our responsibility to communicate to other people. And so this is very, a, scary, a very scary thing for me to, to, to talk about scriptural things, biblical things. But, oh well, here we go. Um, I think part of the reason why kingdom is hard for me is because I have a problem with authority. I have a problem with authority. I have a problem with authority when authority doesn't do what I want it to do. I have a problem with authority when, when authority doesn't do what I want it to do and it specifically bugs me or bothers me or gets in my way. Anybody else have that problem? Oh, good. I was worried there for a minute. I thought I was, I thought I was all alone. <laughs> and I think we have a problem with authority as Americans. Uh, I think we have a problem with authority as Americans. I think the fact that we are Americans and our history as Americans have created a platform for which we have authority problems. Um, how many ever heard the term no taxation without representation? Yep. 2009. Who used it in 2009? Tea Party. 1775, of course, it was used by the, the uh, Continental Congress at the time. But the concept of no taxation without representation is part of who we are as Americans. Here's another one. Don't tread on me. Ever heard that one before? Yeah. You know, that was a flag. You can go to the next one, I think. 
Yes, that was a flag that was used by the Minutemen of Virginia. The whole concept of don't tread on me. And, and uh, Benjamin Franklin used the concept of a snake as one of the first political, political cartoons. It was broken up into different pieces and, and, it, and, it, and it, it d- depicted the different colonies. And his concept was that we have to be united. In fact, one of the concepts of the, uh, of the, of the Revolutionary War was join or die. Join or die. So we have this issue, and it's rooted within our democracy. I'd like to suggest that the, one of the reasons why democracy exists is to protect people from sinful leaders. Do you agree with that? Because the primary method, in fact, in some ways still is, the primary method of government within the world is what? Dictatorship, monarchies. Exactly right, exactly right. So my problem is, and here's here's where we're getting into this issue, at least for me. The fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, we belong to a monarchy. We belong to a monarchy that's controlled by a despot. We belong to a monarchy. I belong to a monarchy. I can only speak for myself. I belong to a monarchy controlled by a despot. I also exist within a physical realm that is, uh, that is run by a democracy. And then I have my own kingdom that's run by a monarch. Happens to be me. And so I have these conflicts. I have all of these, all of these governments that I'm involved in. And this is where I think I have a problem. Because I consider myself a Christ follower. The issue of government the government to which I belong is important. And I think that this may be a, one of the root causes where, where we as Americans don't see a lot of revival within our country. Have you noticed what countries the revivals are coming from recently? China? African states? Those are monarchies? Some of them are absolute monarchies. I don't know. It's a question. I, it's, it's just a question. So the purpose of the next two weeks is to clarify our role as bond servants within the kingdom of God. Because we are bond servants. And what does that all mean? Uh, the second point is, is, is to highlight some differences and similarities between the different governments Uh, to define the kingdom of God and our role in it. And my apologies to some of you, because some of you may have heard some of this information before. Uh, So because this has been something I've harped on for a couple of different times. Maybe it packaged a little bit differently. So my apologies. So I think that there are some questions we need to ask if we're going to begin to understand this whole issue of kingdom. You see, because... Here's my problem. I see the kingdom of God within the government in which I have grown up, which is democracy, and which is my own kingdom, and how my own kingdom connects to democracy. And I think that that's a problem. I think that personally that, that's a problem for me. And I may be the only one. I may be preaching to myself, teaching to myself. 
But if there are any others in here, feel free to come along. So I, I think we need to ask some questions about what is a kingdom so that we can then ask the question, what is the kingdom of God? Because I don't think we have a concept of kingdom. So what is a kingdom? How is it defined on the earth? How is the kingdom of God different from others? And what does this mean to us as Christ followers? So I think you kind of get the point. And that is this, that as Christ followers, we have a responsibility to make sure we know what what the order is of the kingdoms in which we exist. And as Christ followers, we are required to put the kingdom of God first. Do you agree with that? Okay. But see, that's an interesting situation. But it's a biblical issue. Acts 4, 19 to 20, the, the background of Acts 4 is this is where, uh, where Peter and John had just uh, brought the lame man, uh, uh, brought life into his legs, and they, and they, they went in, you know, the dancing and joicing and praising God and the, and the Jews. Uh, the Sanhedrin freaked out because he was preaching Jesus and told, told Peter and John that they can no longer preach in the name of Jesus. They can no longer do this. Now, this was the government at the time, not the Roman government, but this was the Jewish government, which was kind of within the concept of the Roman government. And the, and the Jewish government at the time told Peter and John, you can no longer speak about Jesus. We are forbidding you to do that. And, of course, their response was this. Peter and John answered them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. So it's a biblical point that, yes, when the two collide, we have the responsibility of choosing the kingdom of God over democracy. Okay, you guys follow me so far? Okay, not necessarily an easy thing to do. So now I think we need to ask the question of what is the kingdom? Now that we've kind of set the ground rules, we have to figure out what is a kingdom. And here's the definition of a kingdom. The rank, the quality, the state, or the attributes of a king, royal authority, sovereign power, rule, dominion, or monarchy. The second definition is a territory or country subject to a king or queen, dominion of a monarch, the sphere in which that king has control. You kind of get the concept, king, control, uh, both the person and the geographical area. And one term of someone who runs a monarchy is a despot. Now, this is an interesting word. Uh, my beloved wife and I had a few conversations about this word because I turned to her one day and said, you know that God is a despot. And she said, no, he isn't. Yes, he is. No, he's not a despot. Yes, he is a despot. And in fact, he is a despot. And I will give you this definition as my argument. The definition is a ruler or other person who holds absolute power. Holds absolute power. And the fact that God holds absolute power. I don't know. My God does anyway. So and we'll kind of get back to that in a little bit. So what does this mean on the, on the earth? Well, here becomes the issue. See, because there are different types of governments on the earth. There are two essential different types of governments. I can go to the next one, I think. Thank you. 
Yep. And here it is. It becomes the issue of where does the power exist within that government? On one side is a king who controls all the power. And on the other side are the people who control all the power. And it is, that is, that's the issue. And there are lots of different governments. And, and this really becomes the question about a government, is who controls the power? Is it one person or is it many person? Really, really is, is where it comes down to. And when it comes to monarchs, there are really two different types of monarchs. There are absolute monarchs and there are constitutional monarchs. Now, an absolute monarch are these. These are the monarchs we, in our, in our, on our earth that are absolute. Anybody know those? I didn't know them. Brunei, Qatar, Oman, uh, Oman Saudi Arabia, Swaziland, United Arab Emirates. Now, those are ones who, for the, generally, it's a hereditary thing. But it is one person or a small group of individuals who own absolute power. And they can take it away and they can give it any time they want. Now, there's another set of monarchs called constitutional monarchies. And that is all of these. There are a lot of countries in there. And you'll notice that uh, Great Britain is in there and a few others. Now, these are, are monarchs that have some sort of, of parliamentary procedure or, or involvement in, in giving the people some rights and privileges. And then, of course, the third is democracy. You guys have any idea how many, meth how many types of democracy there are in the world, according to Wikipedia? <laughs> 48. There are 48 different types of democracies. And they range all the way from what this, this point of tension, who has the power, all the way from things that seem are much closer to constitutional monarchies. And then there is, there is a type of democracy where all the power is within, uh, within grassroots assemblies. And, and the issue, of course, is just how all of this works out. Well... We know, we obviously, again, we're involved in much more in a democracy, and God is much more of a monarchy. So again, we have to kind of, at least in my head, we have to, I have to think about how does this all fit? So it made me ask the question, well, what makes an efficient monarch? What makes an efficient monarch? Anybody have any ideas? What's an efficient monarch? Pardon? A person who delegates well? Would that be an efficient monarch? I don't know. It seems like every time I delegate things, things don't always go my way. <laughs> or I have to be willing to let them go my way. Good advisors? But there again, you see, sometimes my advisors are okay, but what's the effect? What's the... What's the responsibility those advisors have to me. You see, and the most efficient monarchs are those who give up power. I'd like to suggest, yes, sir? A what? A just See, but now that raises a question. Is, is a just monarch necessarily an efficient one? You say 
a just one. Is, is, the fa- is justice necessarily connected with efficiency? See, there's the issue. Really, the most efficient government, I would contend to you, is an absolute monarchy because it is the most cleanest into that person's vision. Carrying out that person, because that's the job of a monarch, right? To cast vision. This is where I want my country to go. Think about your own kingdoms. You are most efficient when you have complete and absolute power over whatever it is that, has, that it, it fits in with what you're doing. So I would suggest to you that the best monarchs are the most powerful ones, like these. Here are some great monarchs of the world. How about this first one? Caligula. Have you heard about Caligula? Caligula was a monarch, Roman monarch, 47 to 41 41 AD, was known for a craving for luxury and an unrestrained squander resulting in crippling taxes and eventual destruction of the Roman Empire. Yeah, he was effective. That was his vision. He was an effective monarch. How about this one? Genghis Khan. Boy, he was an effective monarch, let me tell you. China, Asia, Eastern Europe, known for the most utmost cruelty and wholesale slaughter of anyone he defeated. Just cut him off. How about this next one? This one's a great one. You guys recognize this monarch. He was a great monarch. Henry VIII. Do you know that in the under Henry VIII reign, political and religious executions, guess how many? 70,000. That was efficient. What an efficient monarch. How about this one? Anybody know this guy? Ivan the Terrible. There's a reason why he was called Ivan the Terrible. (laughs) How about this next one? This next one probably some of you will recognize. Yeah, Stalin, right. Developed the gulag system through which, depending upon your estimates, 14 million to 40 million Soviets went through. Yeah, he was a really fun guy. How about this guy? This guy we know. He was efficient. Think about what he did from 37 to 45. Think about what he did. Amazing. Amazing efficiency. Absolutely amazing efficiency. Absolutely amazing. How about this one? You guys know this one? Cambodian killing fields where thousands and thousands of Cambodians dug their own graves before they were placed in them. And then this one. This one's most, uh, probably the most... uh, most extant. Well, he's dead now. Kim Jong three a two. Tortures, public executions, prisons, camps, and forced labor. You know, the fact of the matter is, as Christians, it's no wonder we have trouble with monarchies. Because this is what our past experience has been about monarchies. Especially the efficient ones. Especially the efficient ones have been cruel and hideous and horrible. But here's the problem. Our God is a monarch. Go to the next one, please. Thank you. This is the Helix Nebula, by the way, known as the Eye of God. Our God is a monarch. He's a despot. He is considered omnipresent, right? You've heard that? Omnipresent means he's everywhere. He's everywhere, he's everywhere. 
omniscient, which means he knows everything. He knows everything. And omnipotent means all-powerful. I don't know. Sound like a despot to you? It does to me. It does to me. It does to me. Um, and here's the, here's the scriptural basis for these things. Psalm 47, 2, For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Psalm 47, 7, For God is king of all of the earth. Dan 4, 3, How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. I don't know. Guy sounds like a power mad, crazy something. I could be a bully. In fact, many people who don't know him consider him a bully. Ever met believers who, or non-believers who feel that way? People who feel that way? God's a bully. Hence the reason why they have a hard time. They hard time believing him or relating to him. They, they, he's... He's a bully. But there are two major differences between God as a monarch and all the rest of these monarchs. What's the main one? Great, great point, but we'll get to that. The first one is, you go to the next one, thanks, is... God is good. God is good. God is good. And none of those other slam bags were, were good. God is good. We have a hard time understanding what that means, though. What's the definition of good? Even the person, uh, the young, rich young ruler, came up to Jesus and said, good teacher. And his response was, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So the concept of what good means is another, totally another story. But here's the second one. The kingdom that he is good, in which he is good, is a totally different kingdom than, than democracy. And our role is different. And that's where the rubber, in my opinion, hits the road. Our role is different. Our role is different. In a democracy, our leaders are supposedly our servants. Would you agree? And if we don't like how they're serving us, what do we do? We vote them out of office. Right? Right? In the kingdom, we are his servants. We are his servants. We have no voting rights. In fact, we are his bond servants. But we're his servants. We're his slaves. Now, let's take just a slightly different angle on all of this, and then we're going to come back and pull, pull this, all, this, all this together. Uh, one of my favorite authors uh, who died recently, his name is Dallas Willard, and among the many, many books that he's written, uh, this, I think, is one of his greatest ones. Anyone, any of you read The Divine Conspiracy? Oh, one of you, thank you. <laughs> um, this is a great book about the kingdom of God. This is essentially what this all is. The, the concept of the divine conspiracy is that God is doing something very conspiratorial, and it's very cool. Uh, in this in this book, uh, Willard suggests this as a definition of kingdom. The effective sphere of one's influence. Now, this fits with what we've been talking about up to this point regarding concept of, of kingdom. 
all those different monarchs had a sphere of influence, and those, anyway, that, uh, that I p- presented to you did not so good things in their sphere of influence. But that was the concept, sphere of influence. What this does, though, this brings it really down to home because it says to us that in many ways we are kings in our own manners because we have a sphere of influence. I have a sphere of influence. My sphere of influence includes my body, includes my mind, it includes uh, my classroom, it includes my home, it includes my dog, it includes my wife and my children. I have the right to kick my dog if I want to. I don't, but I, but I could if I wanted to. We won't, I won't go any farther than that. I'll leave it right there. Um, I have influence over those things. I have influence over myself. I have influence over my mind. So in, in many ways, I have my own kingdom. And this is not an unusual concept. I understand. I mean, you, we, we've dealt with this concept before. And it, this is one of these things that a child grows up into, learning how to tie one's shoes, the whole thing, I want to do it myself. And in fact, it is the thing that, that creates human dignity for us, is the, is the fact that we have control over something, is that we have an, a sphere of influence. Now, so now this asks the question, we understand about monarchs, earthly monarchs, monarchies, but what about the kingdom of God? What does that mean? What's God's sphere of influence? And, and, the, and the sphere of influence of, of God can be looked at in a number of different ways, but one of them is this. First thing is, he created the laws of physics. Do you agree? Okay, so we could say that wherever the laws of physics are operating, that is the sphere of God's influence i.e., the sphere of God's kingdom. See, this becomes the question of, not of this world. Well, yes, but if gravity is a law of physics, well, then that means that that is responding to the kingdom of God. But, but, you, but you see my point. You see my issue. The kingdom of God also can say the ruling, the rule of God, the rule and reign of God. Uh, or the activity of God. What is God doing right today, right this moment? And, and this is partly where Jesus came up with the word church, which is the Greek word ekklesia, which literally translated is called out, out called, that those who are part of his church are called out of something into something else because of the activity of God. God's calling is part of his activity. So, so hopefully now we're beginning to get a sense of some of the struggle or some of the definitions, some of the issues. Here's, an, uh, here's another way of looking at it. As we look at human governments, our sphere of influence, our own kingdoms. And uh, this is, a, this is a, a quote from Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracy, page 25. And I just want to read this to you. Uh, uh, there you go. Thanks. Because I think he sums up 
some of these issues, in my opinion, anyway. Now, God's kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will where what he wants done is done. You'd agree with that, right? The person of God himself, the action of his will, are the organizing principles of his kingdom. In other words, who he is and what he does. And everything that obeys those principles, whether by nature or by choice, is within that kingdom. In other words, this book is within the kingdom of God because it obeys the law of gravity. Because the law of physics are part of the kingdom of God. Everything that obeys those principles, whether by nature or by choice, is within his kingdom. The kingdom of God has never been in trouble or ever will be. That's kind of cool. Never been in trouble or ever will be. It's not something that human beings produce or ultimately can hinder. Accordingly, the kingdom of God, and here I think is the ticket that's another ticket that's important. Accordingly, the kingdom of God is not essentially a social or political reality at all. Indeed, the social and political realm, along with the individual heart, is the only place in all of creation where the kingdom of God or his effective will is currently permitted to be absent. Currently permitted to be absent. The kingdom of God is currently permitted to be absent right here. For for a brief time. The kingdom of God is currently permitted to be absent within social and political connections, human beings' connections. It's currently permitted to be absent. The realm, that realm is the on the earth. See, there's the on the earth of the Lord's prayer as opposed to in heaven. This is on the earth. Everything else is in heaven. Is this making any sense? I hope, I hope it is. The issue becomes this then. There are really two kingdoms that are, that are extant, that are occurring at the same time. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Or let me back up and say this. The kingdom, my kingdom, and how I relate to other kingdoms, i.e. political and social organizations, human governments, and everything else. So there's my kingdom and how I relate to your kingdoms, which has to do with governments, has to do with America being a democracy, and everything else. So those are the two aspects of government. Willard has another definition of kingdom then, which I think helps. And that is this. He considers us, and and I, I like this, the cooperative friends of Jesus seeking to live lives of constant creative goodness through the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the world, the least, the lost, and the last. Cooperative friends of Jesus. Cooperative with each other and cooperative with Jesus. Seeking to live lives of creative, constant creative goodness for the sake of the world. So... The question that I struggle with is, whose story do I want to be involved in? Do I want to be involved in my story, my own kingdom, the kingdom of democracy, which is part of the physical story here, or do I want to be involved in God's story? You see, this is where I have a problem, because... 
the American story tells me that I can pull myself up by my bootstraps, that, that in fact that's the way it ought to be done. The American story tells me, the first one, that nothing good will happen to me today unless I make it happen. Do you agree with that? I think, but I think that's the American way. Wouldn't you say that's the American way? I mean, make it happen. Nothing good, to me, good for me will happen today unless I make it happen. I have to go out there and do it. I have to go out there and get it done. And I would like to suggest to you instead that the Lord's story, and by the way, some people would call that functional atheism. In other words, I'm just going out and doing it myself. The second one, I think, might be considered called functional theism. I'm getting up today in the middle of something that has been going on for a long time. I get up every morning and I involve myself in a story that has been going on for millennia. I don't need to make anything happen. I need to make myself available to God. That's my ticket. I need to make myself available to God. You see, the point is, whose story are you in? Are you in your story or are you in God's story? Are you trying to make things happen or are you wanting to find out what's going on in the moment in God and allowing yourself to uh, to, be, to become part of that. And I think that becomes the issue where his burden becomes light. I don't know. That, st- that verse has always bugged me. It's in Matthew 10. Come all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know. Does that freak you out? I mean, here's a guy who, who died on the cross, who went through amazing pain and agony for me, and he considers his burden light. I don't know. Does that sound like a, uh, a disconnect to you? It does to me, unless I think about the fact that Jesus was in relation to his father, And he only did what he saw his father do. See, Jesus was connected with the kingdom of God. And that's all he was connected with. He was entirely 100% connected to the kingdom of God. They didn't always make it easy. They didn't always make it easy, but it made it light. It made his burden light because he was connected to something much larger. The question becomes, what are we connected to? And I have a problem being connected to the kingdom of God because I have grown up into a government that says you have rights and you can do things on yourself, by yourself, for yourself. But then I have this other kingdom over here that says you're a slave. You're a bondservant. Do you see my problem? Because, it's, because he's a despot. He has, because he's good, because he's good. It's exactly right. But here becomes the issue. We have so grown up 
with the idea. I've so grown up with the idea, you know, I can, if I don't like the guy in charge, I can just vote him out. That that, that is an issue of repentance for me. It's an issue of repentance for me in the sense that I need to recognize that I can't do that to God. I can't vote him out. Although, I don't know, have you ever tried? I've tried constantly. God, you are in my way. You are in my way. You are getting in the way of my kingdom. I don't like it. I'm voting you out. (laughs) Of course, his response is, dude, that isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. Because you just have your kingdoms backwards. You are entitled to your sphere of influence, but recognize that your sphere of influence is within my sphere of influence. And as soon as you pull your, in, your sphere of influence outside, the Lord says to me, as soon as you pull Jerry's sphere of influence outside of God's, then you are no longer in the kingdom. You're no longer in the kingdom. And that causes problems because I am a Christ follower. Because I am... Uh, I am, with every ounce of my being, wanting to be a member of the kingdom. And so this is where the struggle occurs. And it is within this context, then, that I find myself looking at the kingdom of God. And that's kind of the whole point for this next one, uh, for this next week. So simply in conclusion, if we can go to the slide 30, Galatians 5.1. Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. We have the right to choose what kingdom we are involved in. There's no question about that. We have the right to choose. We have the right to choose. When we choose Christ, we enter his kingdom. Then we have the power then to release ourselves from other kingdoms. That's how we enter into his kingdom. By letting go of the kingdom, of whatever kingdom we have to be, have, happens to be struggling with at the time whether it's democracy or, or whether, it's, uh, whether it's my kingdom. Uh, because since we consider ourselves Christ's followers, 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price, do become, don't become slaves of men. We were bought, we were purchased. We were purchased. And finally, Luke 16.13, no servant, no servant, can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. So then this becomes the issue for me. I find that living in America, as much as it is touted as the land of religious freedom, I find it hard to be a Christian here. Because of, one, because of this issue, this dichotomy of... Rights and no rights. And I find that as I struggle with the issue of kingdom, I need to recognize that I belong to a king. And I don't understand what it means to belong to a king because I've never lived within a geographical area that has a king. And so for me, this is an issue that I need to constantly change my mind. Change my mind. Repent. Change the way I think about things. Ask myself, am I struggling with the kingdom of God because I am unwilling to be a servant or a slave? Am I struggling with the kingdom of God? Am I I not catching this concept because of the fact that I don't know what it means to not have rights? 
Um, I've pondered this, and of course I'll know in, for me, about 50 years or less, whether or not it is easier for me to grow up as a Christian in America or my Chinese brethren. And I'm certain I'll have conversations with my Chinese brethren, with others that have been under, under persecution. And we will have conversations. And I would not be a bit surprised after those conversations, those Chinese brethren will go, wow, you really had it hard. We just had to obey. That was it. That's all we had to do. And we were used to obeying because if we didn't obey, we'd just get our head slapped. So we just, we just had to obey. Wow. You had to figure out how to work all these things out and still learn how to obey. So, in preparation for next week, which will be the concept of looking at what Jesus said about the kingdom. Because he used the term, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, 96 times in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospels, 96 times. It was the thing that he talked about. He essentially talked about nothing else. He talked about the kingdom. And there are 96 different parables that he used. And so what, what I want to want to do next week is, is go through many of these parables and talk about what do, they, what do they mean. But I felt it before we did that. At least maybe, maybe again, I'm just, I'm just teaching myself here, or I had to walk through this. I had to come to grips with the fact that, that if I'm going to really understand the kingdom of God, then I really need to understand it in the context of what I have lived with for the last 59 years, meaning an aspect of democracy, which gives me rights that I don't have within the kingdom of God. The rights that I have are rights that are given to me by a sovereign despot and a good one. And that's why, that's why, that's why I have value, because this sovereign good despot loves me, and he gives them to me, not because I have any right to them. I have a right to them because he's given them to me. And he can take them away. Have you ever experienced that in your walk with Jesus? It's like he just takes away some rights that you thought you had. Maybe I'm the only one here that has had that experience. And then I have to ask myself the question, well, how do I deal with this? Do I complain? Do I write to my congressman? Or do I just take it? I just take it. And that's what I have to learn how to do. I have to learn how to take it because that's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God is recognizing our role as bond servants. Beloved bond servants, I totally agree. But bond servants. So, um, because this is an issue of the heart, uh, I will leave this to you and to where you perceive what the Lord may or may not be speaking to you in this. Um, for, this for me, this is a place of repentance. Uh, that, and it's a constant place of constant repentance where I need to continue to rethink, 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 rethink. Make sure I'm thinking beloved despot rather than uh, constitutional rights. So, Lord, I just want to place this before you as I have so many times and place this before these wonderful folk who have been so gracious in listening to my, my, uh, my ravings here. And, and Lord, I pray that, that uh, I, I know that I have issues with your kingdom. And I don't want to have issues, Lord. I, I, I really do want to be able to 
totally, thoroughly, unequivocally embrace your kingdom and, and embrace you as the ultimate, absolute, unequivocal, omniscient, omnipotent monarch that you are and that you have right, you have rights over my life because I have given you them uh, because I used my freedom that you gave me to give them back to you. And, and Lord, I, I pray that you would just uh, continue to, to teach us how to repent in this way so that we can continue to come to you rightly, appropriately, being and wanting to say that your will would be done on, on this aspect of earth, on my heart, as it is already being done everywhere else within the, within the heavenlies, within the kingdom of heaven. So, Lord, thank you. I pray that you would, uh, you would really anoint this information in the way that you desire and lead us into repentance as you desire and as you recognize that we need to do that. And then prepare us, Lord, to look at what you said about your kingdom so that we really can grasp uh, all, as much of those things as it can mean. Jesus, you're so amazing. You're, you're so wonderful. You're so fantastic. You love us so much. You love us so much. Sometimes it's hard for us to remember that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, and you hold all the cards. We have none of the cards. Uh, you hold all the cards. And you have the right to do with us anything and everything you desire to do. And that both thrills us and frightens us. So thank you, Jesus, for being so magnificent. Increase our love for you, Lord Jesus. Increase our love for you. That our, our response to you would be out of love. Our willingness to be a bondservant would be out of love because we love you so very much. And we just see that you're so amazing and you're so good and you're so fantastic. You're so beautiful. You're so gracious. You're so kind. You're so smart and wise and all of that. Thank you that you really do have that two-edged sword in your hand. And you know how to wield it. Thank you for being who you are. You are amazing. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.